good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's message is going to be given by one of our elders, Phil Ketela. In the story of God's redemption work through Esther, we will come today to the evidence of God's thwarting the plans of the wicked and lifting up the humble. Thanks for listening today as Phil takes us through the reversals between the plans and honor of man and the purposes and glory of God. Thank you all uh, for being here and putting up with me this morning. Uh, my voice is a little bit scratchy and rough, but uh, we'll make it through. And as uh, Chris had said, uh, it, is, it is a joy to be up here, to uh, just be used by God for his, uh, his glory, because uh, we certainly are all leaky buckets, aren't we, in, uh, in what we do. Uh, would you uh, open with me in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to this earth for us to be that sacrifice to cleanse, cleanse us of our sins for being just a father that we all need Lord and uh, I just ask that you would um, be with the words that I speak this morning and that they would uh, touch the hearts of those that you have uh, decided and chosen and established and we just love you Lord in Jesus name we pray Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so I don't know if uh, in the past few weeks if you've heard that story of the four children that were uh, in the jungle, found in the jungles in Colombia after 40 days, 40 days, 40 nights, these four children. Uh, apparently the uh, a plane that they were on had crashed and the uh, three adults that were with the children, their mother and two other adults, passed away. The mother actually lived for a few days, but they passed away. And these four children, aged 13, 9, <coughs> 4, and the youngest one turned one year old in the jungle there. Pretty amazing. Uh, children that young, surviving. Apparently they're uh, indigenous relatives had taught them how to survive certain things to eat in the jungle. But yet, can you imagine after uh, two weeks of uh, them being out there and they're searching and they're not finding them, you'd think, you know, getting kind of slim here. And then after four weeks, can you imagine just the, the thoughts and, uh, of trying to find them alive, pretty slim. But 40 days they were out there and they found them. Pretty unexpected. Kind of, they're kind of the reverse of what you'd expect. Life is full of the unexpected, isn't it? I uh, had a couple of funerals I attended this past week. One was my brother Dave. Uh, he was 83 years old, but he was, uh, up until three months ago, he was going to our grandchildren's volleyball games, traveling in the middle of uh, the winter at night, uh, just, you know, moving about so greatly that you wouldn't have expected that three months later he would have passed away. Uh, the doctor had figured from a uh, 
massive stroke. And the other funeral was for a young lady, 51 years old. She was actually our flower child in our wedding, Chrissy. Um, the story we heard, she uh, was on her phone talking with a friend, had a cup of coffee in her other hand, and uh, she stumbled in the uh, in her garage, uh, fell to the concrete, and the, the cup broke and severed her wrist and arm, and she bled out. Just freakish, weird accident. Uh, things that happen in our lives that we don't expect, you know. Our, uh, a year ago, we came back from our DR trip. Some great unexpectation, or yeah, unexpectations there from that trip as we uh, followed God. And uh, there's some stories that I related to before that were just uh, what you wouldn't expect, the reverse of exactly what you were thinking was going to happen. Um, as Christians, and as a Christian myself, I really lean on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. The path might not be without the ups and downs of life, but he'll make your path straight. His direction is best no matter what our worldly, our worldly lenses tend to lead us towards. When we don't understand, remember that God, God understands. God knows. So for a little review of uh, what we've gone over the past few weeks in the book of Esther, we've seen that while Esther lived in a secular, secular world just as we do today, God is still sovereign. God is at work even in the secular world, in the secular realm. In chapter 3, we learned what I already knew, what Ryan had told us. French onion soup doesn't smell good. If you remember his story of working in the restaurant there and the French onion soup as he's cleaning it, doesn't smell good. But then you get used to it. It gets in your clothes and then you go see someone else and you're, they recognize that you've been around something that doesn't smell like right. We must learn not to get used to the smell of this world and not to worship what the world worships, but worship our God. In chapter 4, we saw to follow Jesus in a secular world is going to take risk, is going to cost you, and is something you can't do alone. This hits home really with me because I'm the type that I don't really take risks. I, uh, Usually play it safe. We're worried about what's going to happen, what the cost is going to be. God, though, He knows. When it comes to godly decisions, I need to trust what He says in His Word. He is faithful to us as we follow His commandments. Deuteronomy 7 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 says, God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. I think the stance that, we, uh, that we've taken with the PCUSA, as we were just talking earlier, as Casey mentioned, um, it's a good example of that. We were taking a risk. We were uh, not knowing what was going to happen. That's risky. We weren't sure of what the cost was going to be. The cost of the building was always on the top of our minds, what it's going to be, but also the cost of offending people, of losing people from our church. Yet, above all else, we wanted to follow God, Amen. no matter what. And we're doing this not on our own, but in unity as a church together. We're all one. And as was mentioned earlier, there are a couple of churches uh, out of the Methodist uh, church that are leaving because of them going by the worldly ways, allowing gays to lead the church, to run the church. Last week we heard from Lane. Boy, do we hear from Lane, and he's not here, so I can't pick on him as well as I can, but as, as I was hoping to, but Lane, uh, he did everything right except one thing. There was no sermon notes, no worksheet for me to write down the stuff I needed to from him. Thank goodness for the, the Pakistan uh, handout that was in there, because that was the only thing I could write on. And I wrote some notes, Lane, so uh, next time you better have a little worksheet there. <laughs> we heard from Lane's observations that Esther was not flashy in her faith, but she was humble, a characteristic I hope we all would have as our default uh, position as we follow Christ. In her, in her humble faith, the first thing Esther did was to fast in order to get closer to God. Then she went in faith to where the king could see her, and after giving her request to the king, she waited for God to do his work. I love Lane's observation of God's providence, and that when we do go forth for God, for Jesus, our Redeemer, we then learn more about how great is our God. Our relationship with him grows. He used the, the term of as we grow an inch in our faith walk, God grows 10 feet in our relationship with him, in our connection with him. And boy, is that ever just wonderful as we do that, as we go forth for him, reaching out. So let's read Esther chapter 8. Um, I believe it's in your bulletin of the page number in your... 713. 713 in our pew Bibles. Esther chapter 8. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring 
which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman, the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the king, or destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have hanged him on the gallows. Now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews as seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. At once the royal secretaries were summoned on the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan. They wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the satraps, governors, and nobles of the 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province and the language of each people, and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring, and sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force of any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the, was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that, <clears throat> so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers riding the royal horses raced out spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was also issued in the citadel of Susa. Mordecai left the king's presence, wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold, and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor, in every province and in every city, wherever the edict of the king went, there was joy and gladness among the Jews, with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them.
it's been quite a story that we've been reading in, in Esther of uh, God's favor for his people. And what we see here is the favor she first received from Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of all the women from whom the king was going to pick from to be the next queen. And then her favor with the king who picked her out of all the women to be his queen. Coincidence? I don't know. <clears throat> How about Mordecai sitting at the king's gate and hearing of the plot to assassinate the king? Or what about the king not able to sleep? Not able to sleep the night before Haman is going to hang Mordecai. He's not able to sleep, so he gets some books, some history books, and reads about how Mordecai revealed the assassination plot. Luck? I don't think so. <clears throat> Nowadays, the secular world would say that Mordecai was lucky. And I've had my own interpretation of luck as a Christian for a while now, and it seems like a pretty good time to explain my definition of luck. Luck is living under Christ's knowledge. L-U-C-K. Living under Christ's knowledge. As we read and put into practice God's word, we are not under any kind of luck. But as we live out our faith walk, we are under God's grace, God's grace-filled, watchful eye. Psalm 121. It's a short psalm. Psalm 121 reads, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forever. In reading um, chapter 8 of Esther, three observations seem to show up. First, in verses 1 and 2, we see the reversal of the position Haman had occupied. Even though Esther isn't looking for anything other than her people to be saved, she is given the estate of Haman and then proceeds to have Mordecai watch over it. We also see that Mordecai, he isn't looking for anything. He's just looking to direct Esther in saving the people. And yet he gets the signet ring from the king, a sign of power. He wasn't looking for anything else. The unexpected favor of God. That's what it was, wasn't it? Yes. All because, <clears throat> all because Esther followed Mordecai's lead to follow the God of their people. 
We heard about the unexpected favor of God from Rosanna in today's Old Testament reading in Elijah. Read the reading of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. <clears throat> the widow only had enough flour and oil to bake one meal, her last meal, for her and her son. And yet, as she listened to Elijah, what happened to the flour and oil? They never ran out. And also, something I noticed in here is that her being a widow, she was out gathering the sticks. She had no help from her family or from the church. She felt like this was, this was the end. But because she did listen to Elijah, the flower didn't run out, nor the oil. The second observation is the reversal of Haman's proclamation that we saw in verses 3 through 14. As Esther pleads with the king for her people, the Jews, we see the favor she receives from the king and thus the proclamation written for the Jews. And if you notice that proclamation that was written, the day it was to come into effect was the exact same day as what Haman had, the decree that was written for Haman. The exact same day, the 13th day of the 12th month of the month of Adar. Mordecai's order is also to be fulfilled so that basically now the Jews can defend themselves. So after two days, or two months and ten days of Haman's decree going out, this new decree is issued and the Jews can breathe easier, knowing they can organize to defend themselves. So for two months, the Jews, upon hearing about Haman's decree of destroying them, all of them, women and children, there was great mourning with feast, with fasting, weeping and wailing, getting close to God as they fasted. Many of them laid in sackcloth and ashes. But then, the unexpected, the new decree arrives, and they read they can defend themselves, a, re a reverse of what they're expecting. Kind of like our latest news from the Presbytery, the PCUSA, isn't it? What's it been? Three, three years, I believe, that we've been when we first uh, notified them and told them that we were going to be leaving. And uh, now we've heard some pretty good, pretty good indications that it's, it's going to be not what we expected. And it, you know, we didn't raise a ruckus. We laid it out to them gently and, and quietly. And as time went on, you know, we wanted to kind of tell them and prod them and bother them of what's going on here, but we didn't. We, we as a church, we, uh, we stayed together. Almost uh, just that we're getting God's favor as we followed his, his lead, his command of doing what, uh, what we're supposed to be doing. And then on top of that, a little bit more unexpected is the money that we're to pay, they're asking us for a charity to give it back to. <laughs> Anybody expected that? I don't think so. God's favor. So is God testing our faith, that grace, as we humbly and without raising 
the roof. As we waited on his timing to get the answer we're all waiting on, kind of reminds me of Abraham and Isaac as he took him, his son, Abraham took Isaac up to be sacrificed uh, right at the last minute. At the last minute, an angel of the Lord said to him, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Following God's leading. Snow, as we see in verses 15 through 17 of Esther, chapter 8, there's joy and gladness and feasting which leads to the third observation, the reversal of Haman's prestige. Where once Haman was given a seat of honor higher than all the other nobles, now Mordecai is dressed in royal garments with a golden crown and a purple robe. Mordecai is dressed by the king in royal garments as a sign of victory, deliverance, and honor. What does it mean for us to be clothed in Christ? Romans chapter 13 verse 14 says, Rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. As we heard from Rosanna in our New Testament reading in Philippians chapter 2, we are to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. In verse 8, it tells us he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross, a reverse of the prestige he held. And I don't know if you caught that, what Paul said in verse 6. In my NIV, it states, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. The word grasp means to seize and hang on to. Keep it to yourself. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't keep the qualities of God and the joy of his, him being his son to himself. He wanted to share with mankind. Jesus came to serve and not be served. How about me and you? Do I have a desire to share Christ with others? Or do I think, ah, it's for someone else. They're, they're more gifted. They're more, they're more able to do that. You ever want, you know, what you would, uh, what would happen if you grabbed a firefly and We've all seen him, especially as kids, but if you grabbed a firefly and you held it in your hand, if you grasped it in your hand, what would happen to that firefly? It'd die, right? How about the Word of God? If you keep it to yourself, you don't proclaim it to others, what's going to happen with it? Who knows? but that you have come for such a time as this. That is what Mordecai had said to Esther. 
Who knows but that you have come for such time as this. Applications. We're getting towards the end here, folks. <laughs> Applications. What can I offer you but what I thought of what our uh, esteemed Pastor Ryan would say? For example, if you've ever been at his Bible studies and we tell, yeah, I'm going to read the Bible more. He'll say, for example, uh, I'm going to read the Bible more. Uh, for example, so what he's looking for is that you're going to say, okay, every morning at 6 o'clock, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read one chapter. He's looking for an example. So what I've uh, thought of doing is giving you some of the application examples that we had in the past Sundays to see if you've done any of these. Four weeks ago, when asked how to reveal God's favor in a secular world, the application that stuck out to me was, you must do whatever is right. And he gave us a reading out of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 14 through 19. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of, the, of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Three weeks ago, the question for application was, how do I keep from being saturated, saturated by worldly worship? The one that I could relate to was replacement. Replacement. Where should the worship of Jesus be more evident in my life? Two weeks ago, I liked all three applications that Ryan gave the three applications to the, to the statement, because God's plan cannot be thwart, thwarted, thwarted, honor him above everything else. Don't wait to get on board. I don't know if you remember that. I, I really like that where he mentioned you got one foot on the dock and one foot on that kayak that's going out there. Okay, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Make a decision. Get on board. That view from the safe dock might be pretty nice, but you might be missing out on a lot of beautiful views if you go out in that kayak and explore, search. The third application was join the team, get on the field, get involved in your church, get involved with your people. What a wonderful church we have here. Uh, I want to thank all those in the church for my uh, my brother's funeral, or so many cards that were sent, of thoughts and prayers, flowers from the church. Um, just love this church. Uh, the, the unity of us all in one common, common goal, 
glorify God and bring him to the ends of the earth. Last week, Lane had three applications. Of course, I got to take all three of them. God has you right where he needs you. So what are you going to do for him? His second was, do I have pride? Ask God to help you get rid of it. Live for the king, not yourself, and you will find true satisfaction. And third, go in faith without fear and don't react as the world does. How do we go forth in, this, in the decisions we need to make while on this earth? And even though we don't see an answer from our, our worldly lenses, still go ahead and do what God asks of us. Trust him because of what he says in his word and because of what he's done, what he's done in our lives. Each of us as a Christian has a, a story of how God redeemed us. A wonderful, beautiful story. We can trust on that. We can lean on that. The old is gone, right, as a Christian. The old is gone. New has come. Yeah. And as children of God, we weren't born from human hands or a father's will, but we were born of God. In closing, there's a story about a kindergarten boy who had a dime for his milk money back when money was uh, worth something. <laughs> so he, had a, he had a dime for his milk money at school. And when he came home, his mother asked him, did you get your milk for your, to go along with your lunch? No, said the boy, breaking down in tears. The milk costs a nickel, and I only had a dime. <laughs> Funny, it seems. And yet, how often do we underestimate what God can do for us? How often do we not understand what he can do for us? As children of God, we've been born again. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 tells us, and God is able to make all grace abound to, you, abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Expect God to hear our humble prayer and then expect the unexpected from him. Let us go forth to glorify our King, our Redeemer, Jesus. And how's that old hymnal go? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Will you bow with me in prayer? Oh, Almighty God, we thank you for your presence here with us. We thank you for your presence with us every day, Lord, as we go forth for you in this world. Help us not to look as the world looks, to not worship as the world worships, but worship and glorify you only. We thank you for the Father that you are to us. We thank you for our earthly fathers. But we know and trust you, Lord, as our Heavenly Father, from whom every family in 
heaven and on earth derives its name. We love you, Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.